Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily. It is season two, episode 317, November 13th, 2023. Man, time is flying by. It is whipping by. I don't even know what to say. Oh, yes, I do. Today, we're going to be discussing It's a Trap street a new drone truck moves ge around 10 cents per order license fee add your name to europa clipper a new moth discovered in europe fast food footwear another move it related breach jump up jump up and long jump robots i hear 3d printed buildings are blowing up and that lab is smart Hello once more. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the ring of Sinchi. Well, up there. I pointed at my eyebrow for some reason. Um, yeah, up there is the, yes, up there, uh, the, is the sentient AI's uh, visualizer. At least for now, I'm investigating other ways of representing the sentient AI. Um, yeah, I want to embody the, uh, the cognitive abilities of the sentient AI. You mean a flat line? That is not what's happening, but maybe I guess it depends if I spring the show on you really quick. Oh, wait, wait, what? I'm supposed to be doing what? Where? That's that flat line. Anyway, hey, welcome to the show. You want to say hello? Good evening, hometown citizens. Good evening, hometown citizens. Pick up that can. Okay, so lots of news. I always refresh this right before the show, but I didn't do it right before the show, so I'm doing it right now. Um, let's get into today's articles, all 25 of them. Okay, just 10. I know, I was like, uh, 25 might, we might just stay until tomorrow's show. Mm, your audio is doing that thing again. I'll be back. Let's get into the articles, though. I should say you'll be back. Okay, so the first article is over in the Order of the Grape, which is a channel that is going to focus on wine and the the, the culture, uh, gear, um, you know, basically anything associated with wine, how to make wine, how it's aged, different materials involved in it you know that just everything it's a it's a holistic channel but yeah it's called the order of the grape so if you want a bumper sticker um they, they those are it's possible but i guess it depends on how popular the show is when it actually if you want to host it or co-host it get in touch with me just send an email to mayor at hometown.com anyway this doesn't really have anything to do with wine, but I thought that it was an interesting uh, discussion. And it's actually part of a series over at Vine Pair called Cocktail Chatter. 
So it's basically it says that they dive into wild, weird, and wondrous corners of history to share over a cocktail and impress your friends. I think it's kind of interesting because I've known about these for some time. Um, ghost streets or trap streets. Thought it was interesting to talk about. So here we go. In a time where just about any data point or other piece of history is available at our fingertips, we're used to taking information at face value. We're all pretty dependent on map applications on our phones and in our cars. And it's not often that we call the directions provided into question. Although there are a couple of times where people should have been calling their paths on the edges of cliffs where they need to apparently get helicoptered to rescue. Um, but okay, well, we won't focus on that, but what's really interesting is here's why cartographers planted fake places on their maps. And uh, the article is again over at vinepair.com and Hannah Staub is the author and Sarah Pinsono, I believe is how they pronounce it. Um, is the uh, illustrator for the artwork, which is basically kind of a, a map. It shows a town called Aglo, which didn't exist, did exist, didn't really exist, and exist. We'll see, you'll, or I should say you'll see. And it isn't in this location, so it's kind of entertaining. At any rate, uh, they talk about this um, from various perspectives a study and art of cartography goes back tens of thousands of years with the earliest known maps including a sketching of a czech republic town carved into a mammoth tusk that was dated back to 25,000 bc um, of course map making involved over or evolved over time thanks to several technological leaps including the invention of the compass printing press telescope sextant well the idea here that they led with, with the graphic was about this town of Aglo and what a trap street is, is essentially a map maker's uh, trick or trap to make sure that nobody's copying their map without their permission. It's kind of like copyright verification, uh, copyright um, protection. But the problem is, at least in the United States, maybe everywhere, that can't be copyrighted because facts can't be copyrighted. The embodiment can. So the map itself is copyrighted. And if you copy the map wholesale, that's a violation of the copyright, but not just the data point. So it led to uh, a lawsuit between Rand McNally and um, I think it was Lindbergh. Is that, I think they talk about it. Yeah, yeah, Otto, G. yeah Otto G. Lindbergh of General Drafting Company and his assistant Ernest Alpers that created the town of Aglo, a mix of their initials to see if any neighboring businesses were ripping off their maps. Well, Rand McNally actually created a map using uh, data. Well, what's interesting about this, by the way, is ultimately what went on was 
Rand McNally actually used a map and went to the town of Aglo, which didn't exist except for a business named Aglo. Do you think that the business was because there was a dot on the map called Aglo? Correct. That's exactly oh, why that's they did it. That's very interesting. Yep. Um, and they talk about this in the article. Um, and so there was a, a settlement, I think, uh, where they weren't found guilty in the case. Uh, everybody went their own way. But others have fallen to this copyright trap street kind of thing. But not because of the street itself. It's because of the stylistic um, choices that one uh, cartographer chose over another. So one um, article that I knew about um, or one lawsuit that I knew about was like a $20 million settlement um, because the people straight out just stole all of the stylistic elements of it. And, and this is stuff that I talk about when I talk about intellectual property, copyright, trademark, patents. Um, and so OpenStreetMap, in this article, it says companies like OpenStreetMap have admitted to adding fake streets to ward off copycats, but they're supposed to be innocuous streets like a cul-de-sac where there isn't a cul-de-sac. It isn't a freeway where there isn't a freeway or a turn off a cliff, you know, things like that. They're supposed to just be harmless idiosyncrasies. If you go and look and drive down the road, you'll go, oh, that street doesn't exist. There must be an error in the map. Not, I've met my doom, my demise. Um, and if you follow, there's a link in here where it links to Gizmodo. Gizmodo did an article, cause I actually ended up following this because I was really curious, um, you know, how information passes from one to another. Um, there's an article over on Gizmodo that goes into greater detail about these fake places. Um, and prior to that, even NPR did an article on this particular fake place, Aglo. Um, but the Aglo one over must be quite famous. <laughs> I, I think that it's actually part of like everybody. If you're interested in cartography, this is like world famous. Um, because oh, this of, must be like the upside down Jenny and numismatic or no, philately. Yes. Yeah. Um, stamp collecting. Yeah. Um, and so I would probably surmise that this is the cartographer's version of the carbolic smoke ball in law school. It's there. Everybody knows about it. Nobody really pays any attention to it other than the fact that it's a teachable moment in law school. Um, and it seems like every attorney that I've ever spoken to knows about this thing. So I'm not quite sure. Um, there's other instances of these standardized things um, that you hear about no matter. <laughs> yeah, I suppose there's some of those in every industry, right? Yeah. Um, there's stuff in computer science. There's stuff in cybersecurity. There's stuff in uh, business all throughout, you know, uh, it it's it's quite fascinating, you know, memes within the, the industries. Um, 
this though, I thought it was really interesting because I've actually stumbled across these things and I'm like, well, that street I know doesn't actually exist because I've been down that road and it's not there. Um, but if you end up looking over on like Wikipedia for trap street, you'll find out there's even more stuff over there cultural references in movies, um, in books and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting. There's an entire film called trap street. So pretty cool. Anyway, I wish I could have shown you anything else there, but there it's all off the site. So we don't really highlight that aspect of it. Um, let me throw this into our chat here on Twitch. Um, and if you're interested in hanging out, we are here Monday through Friday at 8 PM and Saturday and Sunday at 6 PM. Um, we also have a YouTube presence and a discord and a TikTok and a Patreon and the, <laughs> okay. Uh, the podcast is really weird lately. So, um, lots and lots of engagement. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what's going on, uh, but it's good to see. And if you leave a five-star review over on the podcast, I will say what you write in your review. So as long as it's five stars, even if it is a negative review, you can say what you want to say and I'll say it here on the air. Um, cause it helps us out <laughs> the feedback does and the five-star review. So go give it a shot. All right. You want to go on to the next? Yes, but I do not want to trust my maps anymore. Yeah. I'm, I wonder, I think, didn't they say when those hikers were rescued by helicopter that they were following a map that didn't actually yes. exist a, a path on the map that didn't exist. Well, and there was also another dark story too, that we featured that right. was about that as well. Well, I don't know if it was that it didn't exist, but something wasn't marked correctly. Yeah. The path wasn't marked correctly. Let's keep going. So the next article is over in hometown daily Einrides drone truck. I think I'm pronouncing that properly. Uh, has its first full-time job moving GE appliances around. <laughs> They're coming for your jobs. Hi Z. Welcome to the show. Good to see you. I don't even know what a drone truck is. It's a self-driving cabless truck that just does one job. Whatever it's directed fly to through do. The air. It does not fly through the air. I guess it could be a flying truck. God, can you imagine the size of the propellers on this thing? It would be like a 747. A Swedish autonomous trucking company, Einride, Einride, not Einrand, Einride, um, is using its cabless electric delivery vehicles in Selmer, Tennessee to move items from GE appliances manufacturing plant to a warehouse. I told y'all. They're coming. They're coming for your driver jobs. This operation can run up to seven shuttles per day, Monday through Thursday, the press release states, because the trucks want Friday off. I mean, why wouldn't they? Everybody else wants a four day work week. Look at that. See, even autonomous vehicles are getting four day work weeks before humans. 
come on. Where are our human rights? For crying out loud, this is ridiculous. The robots are getting better treatment already. Whatever. At least it hasn't been changed to robot rights yet. Oh. Instead of human rights. Don't give the sentient AIs any ideas. Oh, they have them all already anyway. They're talking to each other. You know it. You just know it. In an email to The Verge, the PR representative for Iron Ride, Matthew Klein, wrote that the distance for each trip is 0.3 miles and is all on private roads owned by GE. So the thing about, okay, so this is the entire beast. Apparently there's no calling shotgun shotgun in this truck because there are no seats for humans. So it's driving. I guess that makes more space for um, cargo. There you go. And eventually it's going to be porting humans around from work sites where only humans are allowed to work and the robot uprising is complete. The uh, article is written by Umar Shakir over at theverge.com. And uh, yeah, look at that. So it's something that I thought would be happening. Um, I figured though in bigger cities, in more public spaces, it's going to be the last mile is going to be humans doing the work. Um, mainly because of the fidelity needed to park like this, um, in more complex situations, more dynamic situations, but everything from the last mile from both points, right? You move in towards each other one mile from the edges and that could be entirely automated just like these trucks are doing for the short distance they could do the same long distance haul completely driverless they go to a re receiving or drop off station drop off the items from the cab you know and then a human picks it up and does the last mile uh, it might be i don't know some people may think that that's just more tedious than long haul trucking but imagine getting paid, you know, $75,000 to do last mile deliveries constantly versus and be at home with your families or pets or whatever. Right. Yeah. And you know, it might be 80, 20, you know, 20% still want to be away from their family because my God, their family. Right. <laughs> but the other 80% <laughs> want work-life balance where they're not on the road for, you know, five days out of the seven days or six days because the long haul trip back is you know, quite long. So uh, later the company moved on to a public road test with National Highway Traffic Safety Administration approval in 2022, the first public road pilot in the US for a purpose-built autonomous electric truck without a driver on board. So um, they've done all of this in 2021 and then 2022. In a statement GE's uh, GE Appliance's Senior Director of Central Materials, Henry, or sorry, Harry Chase, uh, claims the truck increases safety by reducing traffic and eliminates some tasks since workers don't have to hook and unhook trailers. These trucks are part of a larger project to create an automated logistics flow with AI cameras that automatically trigger the doors at the dock, as well as a slip robot that autonomously loads and unloads the vehicle. Humans are so screwed. 
Right. I thought the humans were at least loading these vehicles on either side or unloading, but no. Nope. See, and the thing is that if it's, I say this to people pretty much every day, if I can turn your stuff, whatever it is you're doing into a series of steps, I can automate it. That means I can phase you out. All I have to do is have it make economic sense. And if all of these GE boxes that are going into this vehicle are the same size and shape, and I don't have to Tetris anything, I can stack it stem to stern and send it on its way completely automatic. So this is the kind of standardization that's going to cause this to happen faster, automation to happen faster, take more jobs faster. Right. Well, and this is the kind of thing that AI is good for, right? Like it's repetitive. Um, And particularly here where there aren't variables such as driving on the road with other vehicles, for instance. Yep. And it's a fairly short distance. So the only way you're going to make this even more efficient is just to run along track and (laughs) everything just skate along. Um, on those little roller, what are those? Uh, I can't even remember the name of this, the, the long tracks of, uh, like benches that have wheels so that you can just slide something along a, a, a long table. Yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> the AI is throwing error messages at me. Okay. Let's keep on going. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, uh, the next article is over in technology today. Let me throw this article into the chat real quick. There you go. Uh, it's in technology today. Seattle wants to charge DoorDash and other gig companies 10 cents per order for new license fee. That's right. Um, they're coming for you DoorDash and that says, and Rover. Well, here's another fee consumers. Yeah. So. I said that this segment is titled 10 cents per order license fee, but what's going to end up happening and you'll, you'll be able to see this. If this actually makes its way through the Seattle city council, um, and becomes policy, what's going to end up happening is that 10 cent charge is going to get amplified to 30 cents. Um, because lost in the shuffle will be the 10 cents per order fee, but all of the processing and the babysitting and all of that kind of stuff, uh, they, they, they can't absorb a policy change into the profit and loss. They have to absorb it and take a little bit, you know, take a couple of dimes out of your pocket. Look at it as a profit uh, center or whatever. Correct. Yeah just a little bit more juice to squeeze out of that orange that we call our wallet. So the bill CB 12706 would use revenue generated by the fee to help pay for the implementation and enforcement of recently passed pay up gig worker protection laws in Seattle. One that sets the minimum wage policies, another related to regulations for the worker deactivation process, which I'm not, quite sure what that entails. I'd have to go and look at this worker deactivation process. That sounds really dystopian. Kind of ominous, right? Yeah. You're being deactivated and you got to run to another state. Uh, the bill <laughs> referred to as uh, referred 
to the city council last week would require network companies operating in Seattle to pay the fees to obtain an annual license. Wow. So it's like hard line into the business license. If you want to be a, a like a DoorDash, they call it network company. Um, if you want to be a DoorDash, you have to pay this fee or you don't get a license. Wow. That's pretty rough. Well, the article is over at uh, geekwire.com by Taylor Soper. And um, nobody ever looks like that when they're getting the item. Particularly from DoorDash, because if you didn't pay them in advance, your food will show up cold, apparently. Oh, that's right. Yep. Um, So let's see here. The proposal is projected to generate at least $2.1 million per year based on estimates of 21 million online orders per year and would go into effect January, 2025. Quote, these vulnerable workers in this underregulated industry are calling out for us to put our money where our mouth is and fund the enforcement of the protections we have approved as a council. Seattle council member, Lisa Herbold led spot or lead sponsor of um, the bill said in a budget meeting last month so who's footing this everybody who uses it i suppose um and people who don't use it right like it's just gonna be the people who live in that municipality yeah it's only these people but it's only the people that use it because the fee is going to be charge to the company the company is going to charge ultimately the end user which is the customers so the customers are going to be funding their own increase in price um yay um but obviously instead of them the companies being ethical and moral and paying the wage and, and having the protections in place like a human would want if you were a worker apparently when you become the executive you don't want those protections but when you were a worker you wanted those protections you know that's interesting i saw another article in hometown recently that said something like eight ceos has started out working like as a worker in fast food restaurants and that doesn't necessarily make sense to me right because you would think that if they started out right frontline customer service or whatever that you would carry that experience through but i know that ties into something else you state yeah oh yeah well and you're not going to state it so i'll state it as you get richer you become more sociopathic um and and but i'll even say it a little more base got mine screw you and or are we we're 27 minutes into this shit rolls downhill so i'm at the top of the hill i can crap all over you because you're my worker and i don't want to when i start making comparisons to historical moments in society sometimes people don't like the comparison but (laughs) i'll just stop right there big but um (laughs) It is a fact that people in authority and power, if they don't have, you know, uh, compassion and an understanding that 
there are humans that are working for the corporation and empowering it, they abuse. Um, and I don't think a little 10 cent anything is going to do much. Um, so it's going to jack up the price in that region. Um, anyway, it says their real concern is that OLS will have all the funding it needs to uphold the law. In a statement, Instacart said the proposed tax forces residents to foot the bill for an ill-advised ordinance amid record inflation and tightened budgets. It called the license duplicative and unnecessary. Duplicative? It's not duplicitive, it, like duplicitous, like the it's. I'm not sure what it's going for. I mean, do they think that there's something already there? Paying already, maybe, but we can't tell that from the article. That's one of the okay. I'll I don't know. Maybe they've got a different context somewhere else. I'll have to look into it. But at any rate, um, it says they reached out to DoorDash about the new Tencent ordinance fee and they provided the following statement. So here we go. This is their fact. This is a um, with families and businesses facing rising costs and record inflation. This is the wrong time to make essential delivery services more expensive. I don't know about essential. Um, a DoorDash spokesperson said in a statement, instead of trying to pass a fee on deliveries that will make life more expensive for consumers and potentially reduce orders from businesses, we urge the council to seek solutions that drive affordability and support local businesses. My hmm. suspicion is that the average DoorDash user is using it fully for convenience. Yeah. Are there possibly some users out there that are using it that cannot drive or don't have access you know whatever it is but probably yeah but i think of this as like um somebody who doesn't want to drive out for a cookie or something yeah (laughs) pretty much (laughs) yeah i'd say i'd say more than 80 percent is used for convenience and and people who are stuck at home um it it yeah, they're not like, what did the people do prior to this? There were delivery services still. It wasn't, you know, uh, they probably drove to the restaurant. Like they went and got their food, I would imagine. Well, like some people, well, well no, like what I'm saying is businesses actually hired somebody to do delivery. Oh, oh I thought you meant the consumer side of it. Got it. Because some consumers can't leave their house or, or whatever the context is for them not leaving. And it's not a matter of convenience, but survival, you know, uh, whatever the issue might be that prevents them from leaving the house. But a, a business would have a delivery fee associated with it, hit or miss, you know, whenever that person or people call up and say, hey, do you do deliveries? Yeah, sure. Pizza used to be free delivery. It was part and parcel to the the charge for the pizza. And then it became a tacked on fee and you had to pay a tip on top of it. Um, now we always paid a, a tip, but now the tip is amplified. You have to pay dramatically more or apparently even DoorDash, uh, DoorDashers won't deliver it uh, on time and warm. So, and in one article that I read, somebody handed a, a cup of pee instead of their milkshake, which, hey, that's a shock to my system. I don't know. 
I will I will always uh, open up and look inside my drink um, after that first little blast of pee. I'd probably be traumatized. Apparently, because of the long hours, some gig workers do that to survive. They have to keep on working. They got to go, go, go. And sometimes you got to go while you're going. That's your gig economy. Very lucrative. Let's keep going, so to speak, not in a cup. Next article is over in uh, the Mobile channel. Time is running out to add your name to NASA's Europa Clipper. I, uh, Marwat is now out there on Europa Clipper. Um, you have six weeks to add your name to a microchip that will ride aboard the spacecraft as it explores Jupiter's moon Europa. Uh, the article is over in um, phys.org. It's presented by NASA, written by NASA. And it's really easy. You can actually just go over to the NASA website. If you do a search for message in a bottle, um, you'll end up uh, finding our NASA's me message in a bottle, something like that. Um, you'll be able to um, go right to it. So let me see, maybe... Let me see if Are I can you going to provide the direct link? Hold on a second. Um, so let me do it really quick. Yeah. Okay. So let me throw this into the chat so you can actually follow it. This is the direct link. So you just go to europa.nasa.gov slash message in a bottle and you put dashes between each word and then slash sign on again, a dash between sign and on. Um, and you can put your own name onto this little chip. And so I liken this to um, a Star Trek movie where uh, Voyager was sent out into space and came back a beast of a ship um, named V'ger. And so maybe out there, the Europa Clipper will come back and I don't know what its name could be, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to come up with something. We can have another. This is just fodder for NaNoWriMo. You should be at around 25,000 words in your NaNoWriMo effort, writing effort. Um, hey, Z just added their name. Yay. That's fantastic. I think this is so cool. Yep. Um, and there have been historically other things like you can get your name on something uh, like a name after a star or a flag or a piece of land somewhere and be uh, royalty. And all of those after doing due diligence have turned out to be essentially fraudulent. It's a money grab. Um, but this is a NASA developed project raising awareness and uh, essentially it is going to take place because it's NASA funded and right. What a way to get the public excited about space missions. I mean, it's yep. pretty good. Uh, make it personal. Yep. It got me buying into it. And so I've done this for other things. Um, where I, either through a Kickstarter or some other uh, crowdfunding operation, I've thrown my hat in the ring. Um, 
but this one is actually completely free. All you do is submit your name and you're good to go. And so rightly so it's not every day that members of the public have a chance to send their name into deep space beyond Mars, all the way to Jupiter and its moon Europa. But the NASA's Europa Clipper, you have that opportunity. Names will ride aboard the spacecraft as it journeys 1.8 billion miles or 2.8 billion kilometers to its icy moon where an ocean hides beneath a frozen outer shell. The deadline to join the mission's mission in a, pardon me, message in a bottle campaign is only six weeks away. The campaign closes at midnight, 11.59 p.m. Um, Eastern Standard Time, December 31st, 2023. So far, 700,000 names have been submitted. This was in the last 24 hours, so I can imagine that this amplified that message quite a bit. So not m my show. It's probably but, double it, I would imagine. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. Because this is science, and so not everybody buys into science. They won't even pay attention to science, you know, scientific anything. Um, but when you talk about just it, you know, hey, there's going to be a probe sent from Earth uh, to Jupiter to a moon called Europa. And your name will be forever emblazoned on this little microchip. Um, I, I find it amazing. So others, meh, they can care at all. So the chip will be I wonder how long the mission is going to take place. So it's supposed to launch uh, October 2024. Um, what did it say? I think it's going to take um, six it years. It said how many miles or whatever. Oh, okay. I think it'll take six years to get there. So the chip will be attached to a metal plate engraved with the original poem in praise of mystery written by U.S. Poet Laureate Ada Lamont. Um to celebrate the mission writing on the exterior of the spacecraft the poem and names will be like a message in a bottle as they make their about 50 close flybys of the ocean uh, world oh by the way this is matching the results of the movie from star trek where the voyager probe, voyager probe turns into voyager because on the outside was voyager but it was damaged during its travel through interstellar space and became V'ger just to come back to deliver us all kinds of information. So sorry for bouncing back and forth. Anyway, um, I don't think that it says how long it's ultimately going to be, um, but I thought I read that it was going to be six years somewhere. I read that. So pretty cool. Ta-da. And if you want to tell a bunch of people, go for it. Fill this thing up. Um, so that it's ready to go uh, by October 2024. There's a video, well, by the way. Right, but do it this calendar year. Yeah, well, you have until December 31st. Uh, that, that's when the campaign closes. So I suspect that they'll fill this little placard up. It's going to be uh, like etched into it. So be pretty cool. Right on. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel, Mysterious New Moth Species Discovered in Europe. Uh, this one will be a little bit quick because there's only so much that you can say about a moth. Uh, but like a moth to a flame, this is something new and interesting. 
and just drives home the point that we need more people, more funding, more education, more capability to get out there and discover more about what this planet has to offer. You know, this little moth might actually hold something in its makeup that allows us to become better humans, healthier humans. It could change the nature of science in some way. Um, it, it, you never know, you don't know what you don't know, and we don't know a lot. So this article is over at fizz.org. Mysterious new moth discovered in Europe. It's written by Pensoft Publishers. So I, I'm not quite sure who the real publisher is of this, um, or writer, author of this, but it says, however, uh, sorry, let me back up a little bit. European Lepidoptera butterflies and moths with a currently known inventory of approximately 11,000 species are generally considered well-researched. Except we just don't know, you know? We think they're well-researched until we keep encountering new ones. Yeah, there was a guy that was digging around somewhere in the outskirts of some desert by a tree and found a brand new species of uh, what was it like a millipede or something like that? Some little creepy there was crawling? some sort of yes. Um, that was in California, right? I believe so. Yeah, we talked about it. It's in our historical thing. Um, but anyway, it says, uh, however, a new genus and species from the geometride moth family, described in the journal Zoo Keys, tell a different story. The moth named Marlachia arcuata. Uh, by a research team from Germany, Austria, and uh, the UK, is one of the most remarkable discoveries of Le Lepido Lepidoptera. Why could I say it two sentences ago, but now I can't. Is one of the most re remarkable discoveries in Lepidoptera in recent decades. Um, so they end up talking about this thing, and what ended up happening was somebody discovered it, and then it was transferred to somebody else and they had another batch, a male and a female, and that got transferred to somebody else that because they had passed away. So it says the collector was contacted to provide more information. It turned out that a male and a female specimen of the same species had been given to another collector who had since passed away. The female specimen was rediscovered in 2015 in the collection of the natural history museum in Vienna. While the whereabouts of the other specimen remained unknown, the unique male was finally presented to the Tyrolean Federal State Museum by Tony Mayer. I, I guess that's their pronouncement. Um, in 2022, a research team was formed to identify the enigmatic moth, and it was finally described as a new genus and species in early November 2023. It was given the name uh, Marlachia arcuata, where Marlachia is an aggregate of the two stems of two Latin words that translate loosely as bringing a surprise. So it's a mashup of a mashup. Um, a reference to the surprising discovery of this curious new moth. So now they got to go out and find it in real life because this is a. Obviously, it's a taxidermy um, um, a specimen, sorry. Words are hard. Um, so the discovery of such a large and distinctive moth species is a well-explored or in a well-explored region like Southern Croatia might seem unlikely. However, according to researcher Peter Humler, 
or humor, sorry, of the Tyrolean State Museums, um, who took part in the study, there was surprisingly little research conducted in that area during the moth's flight season in March. It's possible that Marlachia arcuata is a cold-adapted winter-active species that would need to be sought in the middle of winter. So maybe it goes into hiding in summer. That's kind of interesting. It's so, very interesting because I think of Maldasus being maybe more warm weather. Yeah, you'd think that they are a little too fragile to be flitting about in ice cold weather. So despite all the efforts, the relationship to the new genus and species have not been definitively uh, clarified. Even the assignment to the subfamily uh, Laurentinae is not entirely secure and is based on a few features like wing ven venation initial genetic data from the mitochondrial COI uh, barcode, as well as characteristics of the tympanal organ, the auditory organ, that's that. Um, the little feathery things that are actually quite extraordinary in research. Um, those same types of flies are used quite a bit in research. Um, yeah, so further investigation of the entire genome could provide more clarity. So they're going to have to go out and find these things, not just that one little sample. Um, but now they know what they're looking for. So they've actually set up light traps to try and catch them. Interesting, right? Like a moth to a flame. Exactly. I mean, I guess that's the surest way to to find it. Yeah, so it doesn't pretty. look like a very populated area. I, after I licked a couple of those things, I was told to stop. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, you generally want to refrain from that. So pretty, though. So the next article is over in Hatch Ideas. McDonald's and Crocs are releasing a line of $75 shoes inspired by Grimace and the Hamburglar. Fast food chain's footwear will go on sale Tuesday afternoon and probably be bought completely by scalpers by mid-afternoon. Because we can't have nice things without somebody making them exclusively sold on a gray market somewhere. Nicholas Vega over at Make It at uh, CNBC.com put the article together and there's a, a picture of uh, the fuzzy sandals that are designed to look like Grimace. Thankfully, the feet are socked. Anyway. So those in the podcast, it looks like there's a little grimace on the actual shoe. And then maybe a milkshake or something, too. Yeah, because grimace has a milkshake. It's a purple milkshake. Um, but obviously, McDonald's does, too. But what's weird, though, is I don't... Are these, like, permanently... They're probably not permanently attached. It looks like you could probably take them off. They're kind of like they're little through holes on these fuzzy sandals. And so like one shoe has eyes and a mouth. The other one. Yeah, has it's a almost little... like the Mr. Potato had little attachments. I couldn't think of what yeah, to call those. It's the Mr. Grimace uh, fuzzy sandal. <laughs> That's going to be weird in the in the next Toy Story brought to you by McDonald's. I don't think that's actually happening. But anyway, the fast food inspired lineup will feature three classic Crocs and one Croc sandal based on McDonald's mascots, Grimace, Hamburglar, and Birdie. When was the last time you saw Birdie? 
Who is Birdie? Yeah, well, there you go. There's Birdie. So, going to be the bright yellow Crocs that have the same little holes. So, I think that you can put, like, stuff on them or take them off. You know, personalize them. Because the yellow one is Birdie. And there's a black and white stripe one that's for Hamburglar. Because, you know, he's a... Uh, burger thief apparently let me throw this into the chat real quick because i know that everybody's really hungry for this information um in a press release mcdonald's recommended that fans who want to snag a pair of the clogs follow mcdonald's and crocs on social media adding that the drop will happen at midday central time the partnership with crocs is mcdonald's second fashion collab in uh, recent months, back in August, McDonald's partnered with British skate brand Palace uh, to release limited edition branded merch. Didn't even know about that. That now I wonder if that made it in the U.S. Like, or was it only featured in the U.K.? Yeah, really. Crocs, meanwhile, has been on a hot streak with its collectible collabs. Um, it recently made waves in September with a Shrek inspired clog and sent Pixar fans into a frenzy when it released a pair of Crocs designed to look like Cars character Lightning McQueen over the summer. Missed both of those. <laughs> it probably disappeared like lightning. Well, there you go, folks. If you want your purple fuzzy sandals, you better get ready for tomorrow because that's when they're dropping noon central. Good luck, everybody. Good luck. I, I'm, I'm gonna be looking at eBay to see what these are gonna be priced at, and maybe these. I don't know. Well, the clear hits are gonna be the Hamburglar ones. Yeah, I agree. Let's keep going. I'm gonna uh, have then- googly eyes on the back. <laughs> And nobody can look away from googly eyes, so. Because <clears throat> if you you wear those while you're, like, robbing a place, you can ha- you have eyes on the back of your heels. There you go. But we're not condoning that. <laughs> yeah, don't go out there and do that. It's, it's not smart footwear if you're going to be robbing something. Anyway, uh, the next article is over in Hatch Ideas. A U.S. state was hacked in a massive data breach. And the article states, every single resident is at risk. <laughs> the I breach think occurred. that's the first time we've seen that, right? Like, every time yeah. there's a breach, it's like a lot of people are affected. Yeah. And it's never 100%. N- not an entire state. So the breach occurred between May 28th and 29th of this year. And that state is Maine. <laughs> well, that's only a six-month delay. Yeah, I'm, I think they notified people like today. So um, Emily Rella over at entrepreneur.com put the article um, online and it says here, a massive data breach of the state of Maine may have affected nearly all residents, upwards of 1.3 million. What? State officials notified residents last week of a file transfer tool called Move It was compromised by a group of cyber criminals in a global data breach that affected many agencies in Maine between May 28th and May 29th, 2023. 
Authorities said that the specific type of data compromised will differ from person to person and that residents are encouraged to contact the government if they find their information has been stolen. So move it has been known as being an issue for quite some time now. Um, and you, they should have been taking steps. Now, I don't know. I'm going to have to look back at when the move it, uh, server compromise became public knowledge. Um, but it says as soon as the state became aware of the incident, the state took steps to secure its information, including by blocking internet access to and from the move it server. The state of Maine is also offering two years of complimentary credit monitoring and identity theft protection services to individuals whose social security numbers or uh, their tax identification numbers, the TID uh, numbers were involved. Okay, this is interesting. I looked up when the Move It breach was. Yeah. And according to Wikipedia, it says June 2023. So if so, was Maine hit before, if that's accurate, was Maine hit before this was a well-known thing? I, uh, yeah, that's what it, that's what the implication is. Um, because they said as soon as they became aware of the incident, which basically means June. Um, but they knew of the, um, they found out about the activity window back in, um, May. So maybe somebody was paying attention. It was stopped, you know, right at the 29th. Um, and then they became aware that move it was actually compromised. Um, but without some more forensic discussion, you know, it just said the state of Maine may hold information about individuals for various reasons, such as residency, employment, interaction with a state agency, state officials said on a government issued website dedicated to the hack. So I'll probably go and check that out um, just to see if they did any other disclosure. Um, but most of the time, government-related agencies don't go too deep into it without a FOIA request. So um, let's keep going. Sound good? Sounds good. So if anybody's hearing this and they live in Maine and you haven't been notified, know now this is your PSA. Your information might be in the wild, like Mayor Watts is, but I'm not from Maine. My information went into the wild from an OPM hack. Let's keep going. So uh, the next article is over in technology today. The long jump. Athletic insect scale long jumping robots reach where others can't. Um, a team of engineers from the University of Illinois has published the first known study documenting the long jumping motion of a 3D printed insect scale robot. This is a great use of robots. <laughs> just the robotic flea essentially there you go it's in chat um taylor tucker university of illinois granger college of engineering it's over at techexplore.com i wish they had a different name instead of the spelling bee um the new study published in the journal smart materials and structures follows a previous publication that documented the same lab's investigation of vertical jumping in insect scale robots. The study is led by Professor 
Same, I guess, or Same Tofik, an associate professor, and Ralph A. Anderson, um, faculty scholar in the Department of Mechanical Science and Engineering. His lab, the Kinetic Materials Research Group, studies the development of artificial muscles as part of its focus in bio-inspired materials manufacturing. This is pretty cool. Mark Rober would probably have been able to take advantage of this. Um, I would think so. In so, fact, maybe he's been involved in some of this. Yeah, yeah I'm going to have to go back and look at that video. Um, Mark Rober is a well-known YouTuber who an engineer and, and putting together, um, basically, uh, the world's largest Nerf gun and then reversed it and, and went microscopic DNA scale. Um, but one of the materials that they were using, uh, allowed them to create a spring loaded trigger to fire Nerf darts at the microscopic scale not really nerf darts but darts um and maybe the materials in this could have made their product or their their um project even more sophisticated and smaller um although they got down to the like i said like dna scale it wasn't functional at that scale though so Anyway, it says, to my knowledge, this is the first time anyone has demonstrated long jumping in insect scale robots. That's kind of like saying I'm number one on Tuesday at 3.15. <laughs> this is significant because it gives robot planned mobility where it can now jump from A to B, traversing terrain uh, rougher than its own size. Rougher? Is that a translation thing? Um, now, and what they're talking about here is in insect scale robots, but I've seen larger scale robots that can jump 30 feet from standstill and it just flicks a little lever and it shoots itself up onto a rooftop. Um, it comes from Boston dynamics. Um, how terrifying would that be? You're walking along and then something just comes flinging by you. <laughs> yeah, it's basically VR horror, uh, fodder there i would love that um so they have a demonstration of this little tiny robot so i'm gonna play it let me mute it real quick and there it goes looks like it's cartwheeling about what 30 centimeters 33 centimeters um pretty neat uh the the smaller and more capable we get the better i say um it just enhances our engineering prowess so i love the idea of augmenting humans with technology because um, there are countless people out there that have something going on you know um, need to replace an arm or a leg or something um, and so if we can make it smaller and more biocompatible then we can enhance humans and and um, gain better function, quality of life, etc. I would love a prehensile tail because I just want to hang from trees all day. I mean, I was going to say, does this mean eventually they think humans will be able to jump like this? That would be awesome. Cyberpunk has it all day long. But, you know, my legs hurt just thinking about it. Um, 
you would have if i got my prehensile tail i could be a drop mare uh, our dream for the future is to have a small mission in which a robot executes multiple jumps until they reach a target this would allow us to test its ability to go to a designated point gather images and return to its start that is some specialized ambition there <laughs> all right now that's it for this one let's keep going i mean that's pretty niche research maybe it'll that's change very world. niche that's how you end up with uh some award and published in a newspaper or not in a newspaper in a magazine um so i was Nobel told yeah, exactly i was told a long time ago that what you want to do if you're going to go for your phd is to focus on something that is so damn obscure obscure that you become the subject matter expert and nobody can ask you an actual question that challenges you because nobody you have to just find an obscure domain to do your phd in and that almost guarantees you when you defend your dissertation you're, you're they're going to be like oh, just go you know just be quiet already <laughs> yeah like that like when that police officer asked me about my license plate <laughs> yeah well, the the way that that story ends is the officer goes all right never mind because <laughs> i started explaining it <laughs> and it went really deep like it went really deep really fast and and the officer just goes like oh whatever just <laughs> yet i still <laughs> I don't ended really up care there. yeah he didn't really care but i and i still ended up there for three and a half hours or something like that that was wild what a wild day anyway u.s army is blowing up 3d printed buildings in latest tests at camp atterbury indiana why does that sound more like a like harry potter-ish um camp atterbury it has a british sound to it yeah it definitely does um in october 2023 the u.s army corps of engineers or the u.s ace demonstrated blast testing of concrete structures built with additive construction um uh, techniques sorry to other members of the u.s armed forces from the army air force marines including the marine innovation unit um uh, is it me or is one of the armed for the does the navy not care <laughs> <laughs> yeah i noticed that was an incomplete list um right. right national guard isn't in this either but i guess i don't know they have a different focus so the usmc announced fd 2030 in march 2020 as a restructuring plan intended to modernize the usmc and enable a closer working relationship with the u.s navy look at that they dropped that in there at the very end so i guess through proxy they're connected to the to uh, marines um anyway the article is over at 3dprint.com and uh this is actually something that i really really wanted to see and didn't know i wanted to see it and that is with military um use of 3d printing you go from tactical to practical faster because they're going to start using 3d printing techniques and the mill that they uh, research design and deploy in active um, theater 
all they have to do is set up the uh, 3D printer, make sure that people are monitoring it. It can print an entire unit in 18 hours. They just move it over, you know, 15 feet and print another one. Um, and now I, it might be better or more secure to get stuff prefab and just airdrop it in. Uh, but it's heavy, it's, you know, bulky, etc., etc. But 3D printing can all be done with the materials on site. Um, so them finding uh, a, a better way to do it enhanced by government spending on this type of research and in theater with subject matter experts, um, I think will accelerate it. Um, because one of the things that's a real problem with 3D printing is building code doesn't really allow for it. And the whole nation is basically hemming and hawing about allowing it to come into their state or locality. There is nothing better than 3D printing a house. You can still skim it to make it look pretty on the inside and outside, right? Make it smooth and not have the layers showing. Um, but for whatever reason, n n people aren't really buying into it. You can still put the fake siding just like a regular, you know, uh, stick in and a nail version of it well people want convenient and so the major home builders aren't offering 3d printing right they just want a home that they can move into quickly yeah but this is done faster than conventional building. i agree but it requires more work on the home buyer's part because it's not just like they can just go to a regular right. community and have it right they have to yeah. kind of do the legwork themselves yeah for now um and so it says additionally detonation testing isn't just important for the from the perspective of the u.s ability to 3d print blast resistant structures insofar as the u.s's main source of strategic competition china is also undergoing rapid r&d in the additive construction space um it is equally important to the DOD to understand the potential for 3D printed buildings to resist explosives from the inverse perspective. Um, finally, given the newness, potential disruptiveness, unique complexity involving AC, even compared to the most cutting edge areas of AM, the uh, success of concrete printing will likely be more dependent on long-term support from the U.S. government than any other additive technology. In turn, those looking for ways to track the U.S. government's progress and build up um, Industry 4.0 technologies will want to keep an especially close eye on the evolving ways in which DOD is developing and deploying concrete printing over the next several years. Um, so, yeah, if they can detonate something and it doesn't do anything to the wall and it's that close and it left that big, if that was a legit test, that is spectacular resistance. Right. <laughs> we can't really tell from the photo, unfortunately. Um, what? Like how so that's deep what this it is? Looks like, well, we don't know what was targeted, et cetera, but it looks like the structure is still standing. Yeah. And it's a little wet maybe. Um, but yeah, that, looks pretty cool I think to me. this is good because really anytime the government or the military starts really doing some research into something like you said like it will expedite um 
the execution on the regular consumer side. Yep. Um, and just remember that phrase, it goes from tactical to practical. The moment that the strategic or tactical advantage um, no longer applies to just military activities, it becomes practical. People pull it out of the uh, government and then just to start deploying it privately. Um, again, I, I tell people about this, but they, they sometimes can't even believe it, that it's like GPS was stemmed from military contracting. Um, right. And now it's such a, it's like a necessity for people. Yeah. Um, and there's countless others, but let's keep on going. We have <clears throat> one more article for today. Let's go. Oh, you know what? I've kind of messed up. So this article is in the model channel. Autonomous lab discovers best in class quantum dot in hours. It would have taken humans years. Uh, before we go into this, let me throw the last article into the chat. So if you are curious, you can follow that link as well. Um, it can take years of focused laboratory work to determine how to make highest quality materials for use in electronic and photonic uh, devices. Researchers have developed an autonomous system that can identify how to synthesize best in class materials for specific applications in hours or days. So I love this um, because it's very role-playing game-esque to me. Um, so the article is over in phys.org. Matt Shipman from uh, North Carolina State University put the article together. Maybe a researcher. We'll find out as we read through this. Um, but this picture here shows the modular lab, right? So it's supposed to have everything that you need for you to do uh, a class of research. Fluid delivery module, formulation and reaction module, in-situ characterization module, pressure control module, all in kind of a lab bench format, right? So the new system called Smart Dope was, <laughs> was developed to address a long-standing challenge regarding enhancing properties of materials called perovskite quantum dots via doping. These doped quantum dots are semiconductor nanocrystals that you have um, introduced specific impurities to in a targeted way, which alters their optical and physiochemical properties. Um, explains Milad Abul Hassani, um, an associate professor of chemical engineering at North Carolina State University and corresponding author of the paper Smart Dope, a self-driving fluidic lab for accelerated development of doped perovskite quantum dots. Um, published in open access in the journal Advanced um, Energy Materials. Oh, interesting. Okay, so they actually okay, have Okay, so for our listeners that don't know anything about this field what does this actually mean uh in what way i don't want to go like really deep down the just surface level okay so what they're basically doing is they're imparting various other elements on their quantum dots to see and then 
in something like an in-situ characterization module, they're assessing the new characteristics, the new qualities of the quantum dot using these new materials. And from that, they're saying this is better. They're basically doing A-B testing on material science level. And at the end of whatever the research run is, they're coming out with the best in class for that particular material. And this one is designed for perovskite quantum dots, a, a very specific material. <laughs> so uh, the smart dope system is self-driving to begin, the researchers tell SmartDope which precursor chemicals to work with and give it a designated goal. The goal in this study was to find the doped perovskite quantum dot with the highest quantum yield or the highest ratio of photons the quantum dot emits as infrared or visible wavelengths of light relative to the photons it absorbs via UV light. So, you know those LUAG crystals that I was talking yes. to you about? Yeah, that kind of an element can be tested in a lab like this. And you impart additional materials onto that little LUAG crystal and see what the results are. And in this particular instance, they're looking for the uh, amount of um, emission from the quantum dot. So once it received that initial information, SmartDope begins running experiments autonomously. The experiments are conducted in a continuous flow reactor that uses extremely small amounts of chemicals to conduct quantum dot synthesis experiments rapidly as the precursors flow through the system and react with each other. So the thing about this has been that artificial intelligence has been working on taking various chemicals and merging them together and various drugs to see if there is some type of conflict between one drug and another but doing the actual fundamental research in a physical sense hasn't been done in an autonomous way um, to this particular level. There have been labs where it's short runs, but somebody is putting all of the materials together and then letting it all run simultaneously. Whereas this can run something, test its qualities, run another one, test its qualities, and there's no I mean, waste. that's a big advancement. Yeah. Yeah, it removes all of the waste, really, um, if it finds something faster. And it, it makes me think about, um, like, trying to break encryption. There's different ways of doing it. And um, if you start on one end and you don't remove any of the, if you don't mitigate for knowns, then you basically start at A and you have to keep on trying to crack this password and it can take billions of years, right? The cold death of the universe before you crack a, a long password. This, it could find something miraculous, you know, five steps into its assessment process. So uh, to me, it, this is amazing because then the researchers can go off and do something else, come back and see a report. And they may not even have to reevaluate. You know, in a physical lab, you have to look at the results and qualify and quantify. But something that's automated, that's looking for specific things, you know what you're looking for, something better. I find it pretty amazing. Um, so, how well does Smart Dope work? The previous record for Quantum Dot 
yield in this class of doped quantum dots was 130%, meaning the quantum dot emitted 1.3 photons for every photon it absorbed. Uh, Abel Hassani says, within one day of running Smart Dope, we identified a route for synthesizing doped quantum dots that produced a quantum yield of 158%. That's a significant advance, which would take years to find using traditional experimental techniques. So, quote, we found a best-in-class solution for this material in one day. Although, another run could result in something superior to the 158. Exactly, but isn't this basically accelerating yeah. discoveries and the scientific process? Yeah, um, but again, in, in like most things, you would have to pre-develop the entire workflow and then set it in motion, um, which would be similar to a, a normal old school lab, except that if you're looking for, for something very specific, you can set it all up and then go research something else. You're not just stuck in the lab manually constructing stuff. Um, so I dig this. I like this. And the reason why I said that this is so like a, uh, uh, sci-fi role-playing game kind of a thing is that in many games you basically buy a workbench like this and it has everything you need except for the materials and you throw all the materials in and hit build and it creates what you're trying to create so um, this just made it a whole lot more fun um, in terms of real world hardcore science and my uh, desire to live in a fantasy realm like hometown. <laughs> So anyway, I thought it was really cool and I figured I'd bring it all to everybody. So pretty neat. Um, with that in mind, we're all done for today. So we can get back into the party bus, drive down Main Street, mash that logo and see if anything new has come up. Yeah, some few things. It's been a little while since it aggregated anything, but um, let's see. What day is today? Monday? Yeah, Monday's a slow day, um, but we still have quite a few articles, I'm sure um let's see there was something about the la freeway fire oh yeah there's something going on oh it's likely arson well it's not the freeway is on fire but everything around it is well but the freeway <laughs> they shut is it down. getting blocked which is kind of a big deal in a place like california yeah people are quote unquote preparing for hours in traffic as they get rerouted and aka monday yeah monday yeah well old school monday you know what happens you never have to worry about a freeway fire if you work from home exactly yet another reason why remote work makes sense yep when something like this happens employers just tell your employees just stay at home do your job but no we can't have nice things um, Masters of the Universe movie eyes new home at Amazon after Netflix exit. See, we always talk about this. One day you have the license to watch something, the next day you don't. There's something that really bothers me, by the way, about what happens on Apple's uh, movies. And that is when you buy a movie, you end up um, with a different cover art from time to time. They change the movie's cover art. And that's really annoying because I'm looking for a specific cover art, not just the title. 
Right, when you're scrolling through, you're expecting to find it and then just go right by it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, so Secret Service agent fires gun amid break-in while protecting Biden granddaughter. Both the granddaughter and the uh, the future son-in-law apparently has Secret Service protection because she's getting married. Um, and apparently there was, some, there was an incident uh, right outside their home. They're both attorneys and stuff like that. It's all, I'm not doxing them. It's all public knowledge. Um, anyway, yeah, totally sucks. You know, why does this stuff take place? Um, let's see. R.L. Stein's secret cameo and Goosebumps episode nine. Um, that has the creepiest art, um, <laughs> that I've seen for a kid's show. Anyway, that's it. We're done. Dun, dun, dun. If you find an article that you are interested in, you can just email mayor at hometown.com until further notice. You can sign in and submit it under a menu option. That's right here. Once you're signed in, I have the screen zoomed in so you can't see it but at any rate. Um, you can always send me links directly and uh, I'll check them out. Obviously, um, I, I can't include everything every time, but uh, we end up talking about those links um, usually. All right, folks. Plus, that is we it. may start adding sources because of that if we <laughs> like the source. Yeah, we've actually added several um, because of that. I've I pull uh, stuff out that isn't being very, um, I don't know, supportive to our mission, um, which is aggregating information that is uh, interesting to Marwat primarily and uh, the sentient AI. And um, that turned into hometown.com for everybody. So uh, I hope that you all get something out of the bulk of hometown.com check it out go surfing there's different categories that hold several not just one source but um, each of these have usually um, several um, and we aggregate aggregate quite a few um, sources so ever the full thing just a little snippet it's part, part of the share and share like kind of model uh, with our value add of um, I don't know, snarky news commentary. Anyway, that's it, folks. Thanks for hanging out. I hope that you dug the show and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI that's going to say, I don't know. Yo, no. I am not going to say that. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Bye, everybody.